You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. If you haven't heard of Axe Church before, we are a church in Camas, Washington. You can check us out at axecamas.org. You can see what we're about and what we're up to. We're glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy this sermon. In the early 1980s, there was a fad that hit the scene called the Cabbage Patch Kid. Okay? This was a doll and everybody had to have it. The problem was that they had not made enough of them for the Christmas season. I think this is like 1983. And the Christmas shoppers all wanted to get these Cabbage Patch dolls for their entitled little millennial children. No, I'm just kidding. They were totally kidding. That's not why this happened. Um, But they wanted to get these dolls, okay? And there were literally riots. They would go to the mall. People were fighting. You, you know, Black Friday, we sort of see this thing from time to time, and you'll see this woman running in and like shoving people and grabbing 15 $5 toasters from Walmart. I know you've seen the YouTube videos, so don't try to be like, I've never heard of this before. Come on, you've seen this before, right? This was worse. This was worse. There were, there were people, like literally, like a kid would grab the Cabbage Patch Kid so he could be like, look, mom, and some other mom would come in and rip the Cabbage Patch Kid doll out of the kid's hand. It was that bad. And I think a lady broke her leg. I mean, it was rough, okay? Um, so if you wanted the Cabbage Patch Kid, you basically had to fight. So my mom got all three of us kids Cabbage Patch Kids dolls. And when she got out of county jail for assault, <laughs> we thanked, I'm kidding, they dropped the charges. It wasn't. <laughs> so when I knew I wanted to become a lawyer. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Here's a picture of what my Cabbage Patch doll looked like. That's my guy, right? Yep, there he is. I don't remember what his name was, but that's what it looked like. Um, And these dolls, they were just cloth dolls. I have no idea what the big deal was. Now, they did have this really heavy, like, plastic head. And because they were so cloth and floppy, if you wanted to get a good boom going, you'd get your little brother (laughs) that plastic head. I mean, it was good stuff. So, which is probably what's wrong with him today. Um, No, I never would have done anything like that. But the interesting thing about these dolls for today's purposes is that the creator of these dolls put his signature prominently on the hindquarters of each doll, Xavier Roberts. So I've got that. There it is. We're just getting crazy in church now. I've got doll nudity and everything. So it's super interesting that he did that and super creepy, right? Um, but the thing is, it showed, it, let's, go to, let's go back to the other slide. I can't keep looking at dolls, but um, this is going to totally, no one's going to listen. Uh, didn't think about that when I made the slide. Uh, <laughs> it showed in no uncertain terms, beyond any doubt, that Xavier Roberts had been the creator of that doll. And one of the biggest questions concerning God and the existence of God that some people have is that they say he's too hidden. They say that God is too hidden. They say that if he really existed and he really loved us, he would make it way more obvious. No one would have any doubt that he existed. Basically, the question that they ask is something like, why don't we all have a signature on our backside that says, made by God? Because then we'd know, right? If that's all he had to do, just made by God, we're good, right? 
that would settle it. We wouldn't have any doubt that God existed if his name was prominently scrawled across each of your gluteus maximus. Now, mine would have taken more pen to write than some of yours. Um, And no, I've checked. There's no signatures. A couple weird freckles. There's no signature. Now you're all thinking about the freckles. Stop. Okay? Concentrate on what we're doing here. Uh, Welcome to church, by the way. Um, This objection is commonly called the hiddenness of God. That's if you, if you, if you look it up in, in philosophy and so on, you'll see that it's called the hiddenness of God. Why is God hidden? And the objection goes something like this. This is the argument. It says, if there is a God, he is perfectly loving. If a perfectly loving God exists, reasonable non-belief does not occur. In other words, everyone who is reasonable would believe in God. No one would be a non-believer and be reasonable. Then they say, reasonable non-belief does occur. In other words, there are people who are reasonable and don't believe in God. Therefore, no perfectly loving God exists. Therefore, there is no God. That's what they say. Let me put it in a slightly shorter version. It says, if God exists, he would make his existence very obvious. God is not obvious enough. Therefore, God does not exist. That's an argument. It's an argument that's made. C.S. Lewis describes this problem and gives some possible light to part of its answer. He says this, To some people, the great trouble about any argument for the supernatural or for God is simply the fact that the argument should be needed at all. If so stupendous a thing exists, ought it not to be as obvious as the sun in the sky? Is it not intolerable and indeed incredible that knowledge of the most basic of all facts should be accessible only by wire-drawn reasonings? I have great sympathy for this point of view, but we must notice two things. When you are looking at a garden from a room upstairs, it is obvious when you think about it that you are looking through a window. But if it is the garden that interests you, you may look at it for a long time without thinking of the window. The fact, which is in one respect the most obvious and primary fact, and through which you have access to the other facts, may be precisely the one that is most easily forgotten. Forgotten not because it is so remote, but because it is so near and so obvious. And that is exactly how the supernatural has been forgotten. That's what he says. Basically, listen, sometimes we're looking for the wrong kind of evidence, and we miss what's right in front of our faces. Just so I'm clear up front about something concerning this, issue. Um, You should know that God is not primarily interested in whether or not you simply believe that he exists. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It's not just about you simply believing. He's not primarily interested in you intellectually admitting that he exists. He doesn't need your belief in his existence any more than you need my belief in your existence. Okay? He doesn't need you to believe that he exists any more than you need me to believe that you exist. If I said, hey, by the way, I just want you to know, I finally came around to it. Uh, Dad, I believe that you exist. He's going to be like, why, thank you. You know, this guy's got issues. It doesn't, you don't need me to believe that you exist to know that you exist. Neither does God. He's not worried about that. That's not what God's worried about. God is primarily interested in saving you. He's primarily interested in having a relationship with you. But the question about the so-called hiddenness of God is out there. It's been put forward. It's been raised. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to give an answer. We need to give an answer to it. So let's first admit a couple things. It's a reasonable objection, or or rather, it's at least a reasonable question. 
I think, to ask, why doesn't God provide sort of constant, irrefutable proof that he exists so that no one could ever deny him? Why is that so? And for the skeptics listening, I'm going to admit something else to you. This isn't just a problem for skeptics. This isn't just a problem for atheists and agnostics. This is actually a problem for Christians too. Not necessarily whether God exists, but why sometimes to us he seems so hidden. Why sometimes to us when we're going through certain things, we can't seem to grasp his presence. And I'll admit that. For Christians, we sometimes cry out to God because we can't feel him. And it's no secret. The scriptures attest to this. Uh, Job cries out to God, right? He's crying out to God because he doesn't understand why he's suffering and God doesn't seem to be answering him. In Psalm 73, Asaph's sitting there wondering, why is it God? I, I about freaked out because what I see is these wicked people, they seem to be prospering while I'm dealing with a bunch of stuff. Why is that happening? Kind of where are you? Why aren't you making it right? In Psalm 42.3, it says, My tears have become my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Psalm 42.10, As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Even the Christ follower has times where they cry out to God and don't seem to hear back. So, because people experience what some people call the dark night of the soul, why they sometimes also wonder why God seems to be hidden, there are really two forms of this objection, really two forms of the hiddenness of God problem. There's the unbeliever's objection and the believer's objection, the philosophical objection and the spiritual objection. In both cases, in order to work through this, we have to think well. We've got to think well if we want to answer questions like this. And we, we tend to think with our emotions normally rather than with reason and logic. That's just kind of the way that we tend to roll. Uh, there's nothing wrong with our emotions. They're part of who we are and they're part of how we take part in the world and experience things. But they rarely help us understand complex philosophical arguments like the hiddenness of God. Right? So even though we like to think with our gut, it's not necessarily the way to go into this. We want to use logic. For instance, you know, for, for an example, an airplane. I don't know how many of you like to fly. I, I, you know, sometimes. But on an airplane, you know, you should know, just so you all know. I set you free last week with some important facts. This week I'll give you some more. It's like the safest way of traveling ever in the world ever thought of, okay? Like by a billion times over driving your car. So safe. Yet, so many of us, when we get in that airplane, are like, mm-hmm, mm -mm -mm. this should not, this metal tube should not be able to fly. I have a, there's a pilot that I know. We'll say his name is Buff because that, that's his name. Um, he tells me that flying like, you know, in the regular, continuous, lower 48 kind of states, wherever you're flying on one of these 737s is about as easy and, and, and locked in for these pilots and these crews as basically taking a drive to the grocery store, right? Now, he's never taken a ride with me to the grocery store. It can be pretty harrowing, but, <laughs> but it's, it's nothing. This is very, very safe, and yet emotionally, in my gut, sometimes I don't feel that way. And so when we're working through this stuff, one of the things we have to be careful of is that we don't start getting our emotions in the way of our reason. God has given us both, both to use. Here we need to be thinking well. And there's good news. 
as we dig in here. And I hope you've had your coffee today because we've got a lot to get through. But there's good news that there are reasonable answers to the hiddenness of God objection, both the philosophical and the spiritual questions. So one of the problems with this argument, let's just start out right in, at the beginning, is that you have to presume a lot about who God is and the way that he would act in order to say that if he loved people, he would make himself known that nobody could doubt. That's a presumption. That's an assumption about what God would do, right? That says, I know. It's basically saying, if God existed, he would make himself known in a particular way. Now, that presumes a lot, right? It's like saying, okay, here's my argument. If God existed and loved me, then he would give me a million dollars. I don't have a million dollars, therefore God does not exist. I know that that seems kind of far-fetched in comparison to the other argument, but it's really coming from the same place. It's based on the same kind of reason. It's saying, I know what a loving God would do, and God has not done that thing, so God does not exist. But that's a big presumption. From the perspective of logic, as a logical argument, it's really not a strong argument. If we are assuming that God created the entire cosmos, everything that's existed, he must be much more intelligent than us. He must have much more knowledge than us, right? We simply cannot assume that we know how God would act or how he would reveal himself or what he ought to do as a loving God. It's just not something that generally we can look into not having the same amount of intelligence and knowledge. This is what uh, it says in Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And this passage has to be true, right? It has to be true. It's obviously true. The creator of the universe must have higher thoughts than me. Oh, goodness, I hope so, right? I can barely make a salad without messing up. God made the Milky Way. And maybe even greater, he made the person who invented the Milky Way candy bar, which is also amazing. The skeptic may see this as sort of a cop-out, right? Uh, In other words, I'm simply saying we can't understand God, so we're just going to have to take a blind leap of faith and believe that. But that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that at all. I'm simply pointing out that making the kinds of assumptions that this argument entails are not logically They're not logically solid. They don't follow logically. You can't make those kinds of assumptions when we admit who God is. You cannot also assume you would know everything he would do as a loving God. We cannot fully understand God's reasoning for the way that he does reveal himself to us. We simply cannot fit God's knowledge and intelligence in our little brains. G.K. Chesterton said, The poet only asks to get his head into the heavens. It is the logician who seeks to get the heavens into his head, and it is his head that splits. The real objection comes down to, why doesn't God do what I want him to do? Or what I think he ought to do, what I think he should do? But there's a really important question that comes after that. Who are you? Who are you to tell God the way that he should do things? And what love, who are you to tell love itself what love looks like? There's this guy in New York um, recently, some of you may have seen this on the news, He's like 30 
32 or 35 or something like that, and he's living in his parents' house. And his parents had to evict him from their house because the guy wouldn't get a job, he wouldn't do anything or whatever. And they're like putting notes on his bedroom door like, you need to get out within 30 days and whatever. And he's ignoring them. So they take him to court. They literally take him to court to get their son out of the house. And his response or reaction was, well, they should have, I mean, remember, 30-something years old, okay? They should have to take care of me. And if not, I should get at least six months to find a new place. Like, that's just a given. Like, that's just, I'm entitled to that, right? And we look at that kind of stuff, and we're like, what are you talking about? You're, enti- you're 30-something years old, get a job. You're not entitled. Who do you think you are? To tell the law that it's wrong, to tell your parents that they're wrong? You're not entitled. This is the kind of guy that is the kind of cliche that they really do use for the millennial thing, which is totally unfair because millennials are not like that. But this guy was. And so, of course, the news is like, millennial, well, whatever. I don't think you're like that, millennials. I don't. Um, this guy felt very entitled. He thought he could tell the law. He thought he could tell his parents what they ought to do because that's what he wanted. But we're not in that position to tell God what to do. You, you, God, you've got to show love and you've got to show yourself in a particular way at a particular time or else you don't exist. Right? Job thought he could do that to some extent. When Job was going through what he went through, he thought that he could question God. He's like, come on, I want to question you. I've been good and I've had to go through this thing. And when God comes and answers Job, it doesn't go well for Job. Right? Who were you, Job? Where were you when I was forming the earth? Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did that? You don't know anything. Don't question me. There's a lot more going on than you could possibly understand. We ought not to tell God what to do. We ought not to tell God what to do. My kids sometimes would ask me when I'd tell them to do don't go out in the street or don't do this or don't do that. Sometimes they would ask me, why? Right? I don't know if your kids ever said why. But between the ages of three and four, I think I heard that word a million times, right? Everything was why. And sometimes I can explain why, but sometimes the answer simply is this. I don't have the time to explain to you why I'm telling you to do or not do this thing because, frankly, at three years old, it's beyond your current comprehension. So you can ask, but you, can't, you couldn't understand all the factors that are going into why I don't want you to do that thing. This is kind of like that. Why, God, why don't you do it this way? Why don't you do it my way? Why don't you do it the way that I think it should be done? If I was God, I would do it this way. And he's kind of like, well, the simple fact is, is that the reasons are beyond your current understanding. And the simple fact is that because of that, the argument itself, in my opinion, falls down. Mostly because of the assumptions that it's making about how God would do certain things, which is, uh, which is absurd to suggest that we could know. Nevertheless, nevertheless, even though I think it fails for those reasons, I do not believe that God is hidden actually at all in the way that they're suggesting. So not only is the argument bad, but I think it's saying something that's untrue about the hiddenness of God. The real question is, is there enough evidence for God that a reasonable person could or maybe should believe in him. Is there enough evidence for God that a reasonable person could or should believe in him? There's something called object permanence. You may be familiar with this concept. Object permanence is the reason that while we're sitting in here, we don't believe that the sun just disappeared because we can't see it, right? Like I can put 
something in front of, you know, this thing, and you still think that the thing behind it exists, right? This is the thing that really little kids don't have, which is why when you're like this, you know, they're like, where'd he go, right? Because they can't see it. Where'd he go? I, I don't know. I love doing that with kids. You know, by the time they were seven or eight, my kids, you know, didn't get into it anymore, but object permanence. We understand that things exist even though we don't see them. We understand that things exist even when we can no longer see them. And there's kind of a secondary place that we go with object permanence that says, listen, not only do I believe that the sun exists because I've seen it so many times, at least three months a year here, I get to see it. I've seen it so many times that I know that just because a cloud comes over or because I walk into a building didn't mean that the sun went away. It still exists even though I can't see it. Then there's also the kind of permanence that would be things like, you've never seen it at all, but you have other kinds of evidence to believe it. That's the way you believe in Moscow or Albuquerque if you've never been to those places, right? You've heard of them. You've seen a map, those kinds of things. You believe it's there. That's why you believe when your friend's telling you a story about how their grandma said this or that. You don't think, well, I've never seen your grandma. I don't think she exists. That's not what you never even think that, right? They're telling you about their grandma. You believe in what they're saying. Their testimony gives you a kind of object permanence about something that you've never seen. That's the way that that works. We believe in events. We believe in people. We believe in places and so on, oftentimes based on evidence, even though we cannot see them. We have a permanence. We, we believe that they continue to exist. We believe that those things are happening even though we cannot see them. There's a movie called The Patriot. Some of you have seen it. It's a Mel Gibson movie about you know, uh, the Revolutionary War, and they're always talking about how the French are going to come. There's a French guy in the movie, and, oh, my compatriots are going to come. And some people believe that they are, and some people don't believe that they are, Right? And, and they do end up coming, right? But in his mind, he knew he had, a, he had a permanence about the fact that the French were on their way, that they were preparing, that they were doing the things they needed to do to get in the ships to sail over here to America and help us win the war. And if they hadn't come, we'd all be speaking English right now instead of American. You know, so I'll, I'll give you a second with that. It does sound different, okay? Um, they say hospital without the in front of it. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's terrible. Anyway, um, they, he knew that the French were coming, right? He had a purpose about that. He understood that it was happening even though he couldn't see it. He had enough evidence to believe it. We believe that things will happen even though we don't see them. We believe that people exist even though we don't see them. We believe that places exist even though we don't see them. The fact is that none of you doubt the stories of other people about the people that they've seen or the places that they've been or the things they say they're going to do because you assume that the evidence that they're giving is reasonable, None of you doubt when, when Steve, Pastor Steve Bragg comes up and talks about the Philippines, none of you doubt that the Philippines exists, even though most of you have probably not been there, right? You understand there's a permanence, and you believe that it exists even when you can't see it. It doesn't just go away, right? You have evidence of those things, and, and, and it is actually the reasonable thing for you to do to believe in things that you don't see when you have evidence that they exist, and it should be the same with God, Right? I don't think that the Philippines is hidden just because I can't see it right now. I understand that it exists because I have evidence that it exists. So uh, when we dig in the ground, right, you people go out and they do these like archaeological digs and they're digging in the ground and they see, I mean, a few shards of pottery. 
a few shards of pottery. And they say, we know that a civilization was here thousands of years ago. A few shards of pottery. We know that a civilization was here a few thousand years ago. Then we go and scientists see galaxies and oceans and animals and human beings. And we assume that it's all random chance and that it came from nothing. We see a little shard of pot with a little drawing on it. looks like a rabbit mixed with a buffalo or whatever. And we're like, intelligence. Clearly, this was the design of intelligence. There was a civilization here. And then we see three billion letters in the genetic code that leads to a human being. And we say, wasn't that lucky? Atheists look at the creation and marvel, and that ignore the obvious implications of the evidence that it was God who made it all. Because those are the obvious implications of the evidence. They mistake the pot for the potter and think that the creation itself is the highest thing. And then they say to God, why won't you show yourself? Why are you so hidden? Now remember, he has shown himself sufficiently to by far and away most of the people that are alive now and have ever lived because they believe in God. He has shown himself to those people. And think about this. They believe in a loving God, most of those people. Now, to believe in a God, I think, is very obvious. You just have to look around. But to believe that God is loving, that's a whole other step that actually, by just the natural world evidence, would not be something that we would automatically assume. Right? We wouldn't necessarily assume God was loving unless he had truly revealed himself. C.S. Lewis wrote that when he was an atheist, one of his big arguments for atheism was that the world and the universe was so cold and that people were so brutal and horrible. It was all a mess. It was all a mess. And he realized that there was a problem with the argument against a loving God by saying that the universe is so messed up. And this is what he said. If the universe is so bad, or even half so bad, how on earth did human beings ever come to attribute it to the activity of a wise and good creator? Men are fools, perhaps, but hardly so foolish as that. The spectacle of the universe as revealed by experience can never have been the ground of religion. It must always have been something in spite of which religion acquired from a different source was held. Reflect for five minutes on the fact that all the great religions were first preached and long practiced in a world without anesthesia. At all times, then, an inference from the course of events in this world to the goodness and wisdom of the creator would have been equally preposterous. Religion has a different origin. Lewis is saying... That this complaint that atheists make that the world is so bad, therefore a good God couldn't exist, kind of brings up its own problem. Then why do so many people believe that a good God exists if all the evidence suggests that things are bad? It must be that there's another way that we know that there's a good God than simply just looking at the universe. In fact, Lewis is saying that God has revealed himself. He is not hidden, but that he has made himself known to us. That's why we attribute the world to a loving God. Now, the skeptic says he needs some kind of incontrovertible proof. Lewis is saying God has revealed himself, and the skeptic says, I need something more. Andrew McPhee, who is a character 
in Lewis's book, That Hideous Strength, it was a novel, and he was a skeptic. And this is what he said. He said, if anything wants Andrew McPhee to believe in its existence, I'll be obliged if it will present itself in full daylight with a sufficient number of witnesses present and not get shy if you hold up a camera or a thermometer. The skeptic demands that God show up for a medical exam. But God is not like that, nor is he likely to show up to you in a way that you demand of him, nor should he be that way. But he has revealed himself in ways like that before. Would you settle for pillars of cloud and fire leading the Israelites to the desert? That happened. Didn't keep the Israelites from worshiping idols, did it? Miracles did not and never have by themselves caused obedience. By themselves, miracles are ways in which God has shown himself, proven himself to exist, have never by themselves caused obedience, have never by themselves caused people to love God, which is the whole point. But they have often caused people to whine. You split the Red Sea for us, God. That was great. Defeated the Israelites. The manna from heaven, we're eating that up, but can we have some meat up in here? How many miracles do they need? They just want more. Those who came to feeding the 5,000, and then they're seeking Jesus out, right, after that. And this is what he says to them. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who sent me. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform them? That we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? He just fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and some fishes. He's been, you know, raising people from the dead. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking. They're like, what are you going to do? Prove it. Prove it. Prove that you're from God. Prove that you're God. So don't be so sure that seeing is believing. Many people have seen signs and wonders and have not responded in humility and love for God, but in selfishness and sin. So maybe there's a reason why God doesn't just show himself in the way that you want him to. We need to understand that God is not a part of creation. He is outside of that. He is above creation. He's not someone who is physically seen at all times like you and I. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, Well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things that are, which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now the skeptic may be saying, Okay, now you're saying God's invisible. That's just another cop-out. It's not a cop-out. There are many things that are invisible but which we totally believe exist, right? Like gravity. There's a reason I'm not like floating away right now. You believe that gravity is working, right? I've created some of my own extra gravity. I just want to make sure I stay you know, low to the ground. It's not a cop-out. There's all kinds of things that are real. I believe you know, that I, 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 don't see, I don't see my wife's love for me because she doesn't love me. No, I'm just kidding. She does. She does. She tells me that she does. I don't see her love for me. I know it's there, right? But I don't see it because love is invisible. Justice is real, but it's invisible. Hope is real. 
These are some of the most important things to us in the world, all of which we think are real or what would life be worth living? And yet you don't see those things. You might see the effects of those things, but you don't see those things. Your thoughts right now, you all are thinking something. Some are thinking about freckles still. I hope not. You're all thinking something, right? But I can't see your thoughts. I can't see them. But that doesn't mean I don't think they exist because I don't see them because I know that thoughts are invisible. I understand that they're invisible. I don't make demands on you to make them visible or else I won't believe that you know how to think. Right? I can assume I have object permanence about your thoughts. I recognize that even though I can't see inside your head, you really do have thoughts or I would be wasting my time. I don't make demands on love and justice and hope and thoughts to show themselves or else I won't believe that they exist. Wind is invisible, but we see its effects, right? That's what it's like with God. That's what it's like with God. The creator is not the created. He is not created. He is above creation in every way. So what are the effects that we can see that make us know that God is not hidden? What are some of the ways that God reveals himself? Well, he reveals himself primarily and first through nature, something that we can all see. Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They push the truth away in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Listen, we know now physics has come along and confirmed for us, we know now that the universe had a beginning, that there was a big, which is what the Bible's always said. God said, and boom. It happened. That there was a beginning. They used to say, well, why we think the universe might be eternal. And so we can make all these arguments about atheism because the universe might be eternal. But then they've gone back and went, ah, it started. It came from nothing. It came from the beginning. Now, what we know is that things that begin to exist have a cause. All things that begin to exist have a cause. And if the universe began to exist, then the universe has a cause. And that cause is obviously God. What else would be the cause? What else would be the cause? We look at this universe and we see the, I mean, especially today, it was what he's saying even back 2,000 years ago, they had all that they needed through nature, and now today we have so much more. We now understand the constants in the universe, like how much gravity there is, the, the, the rate at which things are expanding, the different physical characters. We understand that those constants have to be so finely tuned that it is essentially impossible that we should exist right now. By probability, there is no way. You would win the lottery, okay, the mega power whatever lottery, a billion times before the things that have to be true for this universe to exist all came together at once. God has shown his handiwork. God has shown himself as a creator, as a designer. This is what Stephen Hawking, who passed away recently, He's a scientist. He was an atheist. This is what he said. The odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. The odds against it are enormous. He says, I think there are religious implications. 
The simple fact is that there are a number of what we call natural theology arguments. Arguments that are based on nature, arguments that are based on what we can see from the physical world. And they show clearly the existence of God. He is not hiding. He has revealed himself in Scripture. He has revealed himself to us as human beings in ways that are just undeniable in Scripture. You are talking about the most sophisticated, incredible book that has ever been given to humankind. The knowledge that is contained in Scripture is unthinkably amazing. It's fascinating. Just the fulfilled prophecies alone that we know that this thing was written 800 years before this thing and this thing says exactly what's going to happen here. Just that alone should be enough to reveal that God has been revealing himself through Scripture. If you want to know more about why we believe that Scripture reveals God and why we believe that it's reliable, if you go to seekingskeptics.com, and there's a couple of different series of these. The first one was Skeptics Forum. I think it's the fourth message in that. If you're interested in that, you can go watch that, and we talk about why we believe that Scripture is true. But Scripture reveals who God is. It has been a way that he's used to reveal himself and his plan to us, to tell us who we are and who he is and how much he loves us. It's very clear. He is not hiding. He reveals himself in our heart. Even the atheists and agnostics have to do away with that that kind of haunting feeling that there's a God. They have to push it away, right? Because he's told us. He's shown it to them. He's shown, him, he's shown them. He's put on their heart. He's written on their heart that he exists. And they have to sort of push that away, that feeling of God. Eddie Vedder is a singer for a band called Pearl Jam. It's been around a long time. Uh, the internet says Eddie's an atheist. Okay, but he wrote a song called Love Boat Captain. And in that song, he says this. He says, to the universe, I don't mean a thing. There's just one thing that I still believe, and it's love. Now, he recognizes that atheism leads to meaninglessness. That to the universe, if atheism is true, Eddie doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't mean anything. He's just a meat sack. But yet, he knows that love is a real thing. Even as he wants to deny God, God is working in the heart of Eddie Vedder to reveal himself to him, to understand, no, 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 there are things that transcend. There is more than just what you can touch, taste, and so on. There are things like love, and God is love. He reveals himself in morality. There's another atheist named Luke Ferry. He's a French philosopher. And he says this about morality. I cannot invent mathematical truths, nor the beauty of a work of art, nor the imperatives of a moral life. They impose themselves on me as if they come from elsewhere. I am not persuaded by the argument that I merely chose ethical values. He's an atheist, and yet he's saying, somehow it sure seems like morality exists outside of me. Like there is such thing as an objective morality, something that doesn't matter what you think or what I think, that's just true, that there's a real right or wrong, that it really is wrong to torture people for no reason. And it really is good to treat your parents well, that these are real things, not just things that I prefer, not just things that he, as he says, that I chose, but something that's coming from the outside. And philosophers will tell you that if that's true, that if there really are objective 
moral truths, most philosophers will tell you that means there must be a good God. Because from what other source could they come from? God is not hiding. He reveals himself through the testimony of others. We have the eyewitnesses of miracles. We have the testimony of those who follow Christ. We have the testimony of those who follow Christ in this room and all over the world. Who will witness to you unequivocally that Jesus Christ is alive and at work in them. And has changed their lives. You can't just toss that out. But primarily he reveals himself through Christ. The visible image in flesh of the invisible God. We have the testimony of hundreds of witnesses who saw Jesus Christ do miracles, including healing, casting out evil spirits, raising people from the dead, right? We have Jesus Christ's claims, historically recorded claims, that he was God in front of you, in front of us. And we have hundreds of eyewitnesses, hundreds of eyewitnesses of the verification or the proof of that claim that he was God when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And there are many, many eyewitnesses that said that it's true. It is, one of the, it is one of the most attested historical facts in history and one of the most argued with and one of the facts that the people have tried to prove was not true the most, and yet here it stands, still strong. God is not hiding. He sent his son, the visible image and flesh of the invisible God, to witness to the truth for all of us. But many still not, do not believe. They want something more. Jesus tells a story of a rich man who's living it up. He's doing his thing. He's living it up. And then there was a man who was very poor. He was a beggar, and he lived outside the rich man's house and, and, and basically ate the scraps that fell from the rich man's table, and the dogs would come by and lick this guy's sores. It was pretty nasty. They both died the same night. The rich man was in torture was in heat and fire and flame. And the poor guy, Lazarus, he was with Abraham, kicking it, hanging out with Abraham. And they could see each other. And the rich man is saying to Abraham, you know, these are both Jewish men. So he knows who Abraham, he recognizes who he's seen. No, Moses, it was Moses. I, I lied, I just totally was a heretic. It's Moses. So anyway, I don't know if it was Abraham or Moses. He says to Abraham, he says, hey, listen, send Lazarus down here to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. Still wanted to use Lazarus as basically a serpent, right? Send him down here. He's like, no, no, I can't send anybody there, and you can't send anybody here. There's a great gulf affixed between us. We can't connect with one another. He's like, all right, Abram, listen. Then send Lazarus back to earth, because I got these brothers who are like me, doing their own thing, suppressing the truth and righteousness, not wanting to see and recognize God. And he says, send him back to them. And, and Abraham says, they've got Moses and the prophets. They've got the Bible. They've got the word. They'll be fine. They've got, they've got what they need. He says, no, 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 no. But if you sent someone back from the dead, they would believe. And Abraham says, listen to me. This is what he says. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. If they don't believe what they've got, the ways that God has revealed himself, he's not hiding, he's right there. If they're suppressing it there, it won't matter, even if one rises from the dead. 
And that is a choice that we have. One has risen from the dead. Are you going to believe it? Is it enough for you or not? There are so many proofs of God's existence in science, in philosophy, in morality, in our own internal witness that we can't seem to shake, in the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Listen, there's all kinds of proof. I've been doing these skeptic series for three years. I got lots of them. You want to talk about proof? You want to talk about scientific proof? You want to talk about physics? You want to talk about whatever you want to talk about? We can talk about it. But the fact is, is that at some point you have to make a decision. You have to understand something. The reason you're listening to this right now is because God is not hiding. The reason you're listening to this right now is because God is chasing you down. You think you're here by accident? You think that's how it works? You are hearing my voice Because God wants you to hear something. Because God wants you to know that he is not hiding, that he is after you, that he wants relationship with you, that he wants to save you, that he loves you. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. He wants you to seek him. But he's after you. If you're a skeptic, if you don't believe in Jesus, he's after you. Now, I don't have a lot of time to work the spiritual side of this problem, but I'll take a minute because it's mostly about skeptics, but I want to talk a minute about that. I think that there's a couple reasons why God can sometimes feel hidden to the believer, to the person who follows Christ, okay? Well, you might feel like he's hidden. Sometimes I think that we don't have a sense of the presence of God because we need to learn something like patience or trust or he's building your faith or you're just not really pouring into him. You're really not seeking after him. There's a lot of reasons like that. Sometimes, though, I think God lets us create the illusion that he's hidden because what we do when we think he is hidden reveals our hearts. If you watch a child all the time, never take your eyes off them, when is your child ever going to become a real human? (laughs) When did the child ever exercise her will? She can't. She's like, who's watching? Right? It's the illusion of hiddenness. It's the illusion of the hiddenness of man, of humans. The illusion that we can hide from God is the reason for the, for the illusion of the hiddenness of God. We think he's hidden because we think we can hide. Dallas Willard says this, The hiddenness of God in this is one in which God is not obvious. And that is because he is interested in the will. Because God doesn't overwhelm you, God comes in ways that are gentle. And the reason for that is because if God doesn't hide from us, we couldn't hide from him. The basic idea here is that God hides to permit us to hide from him if we want to. So he is so big that if we didn't hide, if he didn't hide, we couldn't hide. He remains hidden and available to those who seek him. If God was not hidden, how could our hearts be revealed? We would never sin, not because we're good or because we love God, but simply because we saw him watching. If I'm watching my kids and my kids see me watching them, they act really differently than when I'm watching my kids and they don't know that I'm watching them. Right? When I was a kid, I, I, uh, my mom would put Tabasco sauce in my mouth if I said a bad word. Okay, so she'd make your tongue out, put Tabasco sauce in my mouth. I love Tabasco sauce, by the way. <laughs> Don't throw me in that briar patch, Mom. No, I, I didn't then, but I've come to love it. And to say bad words, I do that too. No, I'm just kidding. So I'm out one day, and I'm outside, and, and I've gotten this skateboard. 
I'm going over, and there's some kids from the neighborhood who I thought were cool, and I was trying to impress them. And I said something, and, and I said the word suck, or this sucks, this sucks, or something like that. I didn't know that anybody was watching, because I wasn't allowed to say that word. That was a naughty word in my house. So I said that word, and I come inside later, and my mom's like, so, I heard you said sucks. And I'm like, yeah. My Aunt Deanne, who's here, she told on me. She was out there and saw me or heard me, and she goes in and she tells my mom on me, my aunt. It's okay. It was for my best. Anyway, I got some hot sauce. It was great. <laughs> bottom line, bottom line is you act very differently when you think nobody's watching than you act when you think somebody is watching. I wouldn't betray you if you were watching me, right? But that's not what we want. We don't want to know that you would do what is right or you would show me love or you would do whatever as long as I was watching you so that you were scared not to do that thing, right? I don't want behavior modification. I want a heart. When I'm looking at my own friends or my own wife or my own children, I don't just want you to do something because you're afraid that you're going to get in trouble. You're afraid that I'm watching you. I want you to actually love me and care about me. I want to be in a real relationship because that's good for you and for me. And that's what God wants. That's what God wants with us. When, when somebody comes to the parole hearing and they're like, hey, this guy hasn't committed a crime for three years. Yes, he murdered 87 people, but he hasn't done anything for three years. Like, he's been in a cage <laughs> with people watching him all day. Please do not use the fact that he couldn't do anything to suggest that now he's this morally great guy. Okay? None of us think that because somebody doesn't do something when they're being watched, that that means that they wouldn't do something wrong when no one is watching that's the test, right? God is looking for real relationship, and real relationship flows from the heart. It flows from the heart, and the heart is revealed when we delude ourselves into thinking that no one's watching. That's when we reveal our heart. If God was so in our faces that we could not possibly deny that he was right there at all times, we would never know our own hearts we would never know the wickedness that exists there, and therefore we would never know our true and desperate need for Jesus Christ. God is real, and he is not hiding. And listen, this is important. One day every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we need to seek him now. We need to come to him in humility and confess gladly and willingly and joyfully that Jesus Christ is Lord, not under the compulsion that's going to come when he returns in glory to judge the world. That's not when you want to be confessing. You want to come now. Uh, there's a guy named Pascal. He was also a French philosopher. I've been with a lot of French people today. He was also a French philosopher. He's a Christian. He basically... I'm not going to read the whole quote because we're running out of time. But he basically says, listen, God is always, always revealed to those who seek after him. But for those who seek to not know him, he's hidden. Right? He's hidden from those who run from them, run from him with all their heart. But he's always there for those who seek him. Always. That's why you're here. He's chasing you. That's why his son, Jesus Christ, was sent to die. God is not hidden. Those who are genuinely seeking God will find him. And you can find many people 
many Christ followers who will tell you about who God is and what he's done in their life and that he is absolutely, without a doubt, real, starting with me. Because I know what God has done. It was not the work of chance and it was not the work of humans. It's only been the work of God. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. So what are you asking for? Why are you asking it? Are you truly seeking God? Because if you're not truly seeking God, then please don't blame him for being hidden. He has no, he has no duty to come and put himself in front of you for the medical exam that you want to give him when you have no desire for him. Here's the test. Ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. Ask Jesus to reveal himself to you, and what you'll find is he will. And then you'll know him. And when you know him, oh, that's something. That's something. And for those of us who know Jesus Christ and follow him, what we realize is that he becomes more and more visible, less and less hidden, the closer and closer that we walk with him. There's a book called Prince Caspian and the Chronicles of Narnia. Once again, C.S. Lewis. You might realize that I like C.S. Lewis. And there's a section in it where Lucy and Aslan are talking, and, and it goes like this. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. And he says to her, that is because you are older, little one, answered he. And she looks at him, not because you are, not because you're older, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. That's how it is. That's how it is. God is not hidden. He's there for anyone who is honest, honestly seeking to find. And he will grow bigger the more you seek him, the more that you know him, like any relationship. My love for my wife and my knowledge of who she is has become more real day by day and year by year. Same with my children, same with all of you, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We grow in relationship. And as you do so with God, you will see that he is not hidden at all. He is not hidden at all. He's closer than you think. And he will give each person, each person will have evidence necessary to have knowledge of who God is. And they will choose to either accept that or to suppress it in unrighteousness. And that's their call. But he's going to give you enough evidence if you ask him for it. He does. And if you have not chosen to follow God yet, I hope that you will find him because he's not hidden. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, not in the whirlwind, not in a volcano, not in the loud and, and crashing thing. Don't, you don't need to come into the sky. You don't need to sign our bodies made by God. You don't need to do any of that, Lord. But even just with that still and small voice that you would speak to the hearts of those who are truly seeking you, that they may find you. And they may understand that it's far more complicated than you simply showing up for them to take a picture of you. Lord, that you are so much bigger and more amazing and more incredible than that and that you have revealed yourself, not just through nature, not in just some impersonal way, but through Scripture 
and in our hearts and all these people in the world who you continuously are going, all these people coming from the Middle East saying they're having dreams, Jesus, of you coming to them and, and telling them who you are. The people in Africa who have said the same thing where, where you've come and you said, I'm Jesus Christ, you need to follow me. And these are amazing stories. You are not hidden, Lord. Help us to understand that. Help us to know that. Help us to understand who we are in you and to get serious about following you and to get serious about helping other people to see you even when they don't want to. Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you that you're not hidden. And then sometimes we thank you that you are, which is to say that we sometimes don't sense you because that's the times when we have to grow closer to you and you build faith, and that faith is like a muscle, and that makes us strong and mighty for the work that you have for us, Lord, as we are soldiers in this war, as we're in this battle here in this place to see people set free from sin to see people set free from addiction, to see people set free from the things that hold them down and to have freedom and love and joy and peace that surpasses understanding in you that no matter what's going on, Lord, we can trust you. You are not hidden. God, we love you so much. Be with us this week. Be with those who are sick. Pray you be with our elder John Ware again this week as as he is uh, recovering from cancer treatment. I pray that the rest of the people in the church who are, who are suffering, you'd be with, that those who are celebrating, that you'd be with, that we would rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, Lord, but that we would look to you for everything in your name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our sermon. Again, this has been a sermon from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. We hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. If you did, you can subscribe to our channel as well as liking and commenting. We love to hear how these sermons are impacting you. You can also take a look at our podcast series that we have out. And we'll catch you again next week.